Hope Church. All right, we're in Matthew chapter 7 this morning. Let's go ahead and read uh, the first six verses, uh, and then we'll pray and and jump into the text. Uh, So Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, says, uh, Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother... Let me remove, remove the speck from your eye and look at a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swan, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. We thank you. For your love for us, dear Father, uh, thank you that we have the opportunity uh, to be here um, this day to worship you uh, together. We pray that you would give us a greater understanding of yourself and of your word, and that you would continue to change us and help us to be like you are. As we tackle this passage uh, that you gave us, Jesus, that is, is difficult, uh, help us to understand it and to apply it correctly um, in our lives so that we would honor you. Um, and serve you, that Jesus, you are our true King, our true Savior. Uh, We thank you that though we have failed, even in these verses here, um, that there is forgiveness and life, um, there is healing, and there is uh, the fact that you change us uh, because of what you did for us at the cross. And so we thank you, Jesus, that you died for us and that you rose again. In your name, Jesus, we thank you. Amen. 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 Okay, so again, this is a, a, a difficult passage uh, as we've been going through here. You know, some parts are, are difficult in that we, you know, need to understand really what Jesus is saying to us. Some parts are difficult because uh, what Jesus is asking us to do is difficult for us. And some parts are difficult because of both. And I would say this, this section uh, follows um, under that both category of what is Jesus really telling us, and then we have to admit it's hard to, to follow what he says, uh, but we need to be able to apply it to our lives. So again, we have this pattern as Jesus has been talking about the character of his disciples. Matthew chapter 5 through 7 are Jesus' clear expectations. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, this is what's expected of your life. Like This should be your character and attitude. Now we know we can only get there through relationship, through faith in him, through him changing our hearts, and through walking day by day with him according to the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not in the power of our earthly flesh by itself just to, just to try to you know, muster up the strength to do what Jesus says here. Uh, that's going to be a futile you know, effort. But through the power of God at work with us and through us following Jesus' pattern um, and following his examples of these are clear, transformative principles that you can take to heart and that you can apply day by day, that you can, in fact, grow more and more to be more and more like Jesus and to have his character. Um, that that is not outside of our reach. It is indeed possible. 
And so what Jesus has done here, just as a reminder, throughout this series, as he, you know, in the attitudes that we call the Beatitudes, the, the attitudes or the character of the disciples should be, back at the beginning of chapter 5, and he's gonna, he expounds on that, and he tells us, you know, here's what was expected of you based on the Old Testament law, or here's what's expected of you based on the traditions and cultures of your time. Now, here's Jesus' higher standard, his higher teaching, that's the second part. And then he's going to give clear examples of how to follow through on that. So here we have the prior cultural norm is implied when he says, judge not that you be not judged. Um, and what this cultural norm is, uh, especially in a legalistic sense, is a high standard for everyone else. And whatever standard we happen to obtain to, for ourselves. So, you know, what we could say with that is in our flesh, we want mercy for ourselves and we want judgment for everyone else. You know, when we make a mistake, we don't want others, you know, or whether it's intentional or not, but we do something that's wrong, we don't want others to drop the hammer on us. We say, have mercy, have grace, right? But when someone else does something wrong to us, either intentional or unintentional, we want the hammer dropped, not even to a level of justice, but well beyond that. We want more than what's fair. We want what's fair with a multiple attached to it. That's our tendency. That's the tendency of our flesh. Judgment for others, mercy for ourselves. But Jesus' higher standard is that you're going to be judged by the same standard that you judge others by. He says, you know, this is how it really works. Um, you know, in, in, his, in his economy, and he's warning us here on the earth, this is how it works. When you judge others harshly, then others respond and judge you, you harshly. If you tend to give mercy, other people are going to tend to give more mercy to you when you, you mess up. Um, and then he's got his practical applications that result in the transformed life. Um, and we've got two of them here in this section. One is to remove the plank from your own eye so that then you can help your brother. Remove the speck from his own, you know, remove the speck from your brother's eye. And, and that number two is sometimes you can't help those who refuse to be helped. That's in verse six. Sometimes you can't help someone who refuses to be helped. Uh, so we're going to talk about that, this a little bit more as we go. So now, again, in the context, up to this point, Jesus has given about two thirds of his 2,000, approximately 2,000 word message for what he expects of his disciples. So he's about two-thirds through the message, and he's talked about you know, these things out in the world, about letting your light shine. He's talked about you know, having the right attitude and, and heart about things um, so that we're willing to go you know, the extra mile, um, that we need to love not only those who love us, but all those, also those who hate us. Um, he's taught us you know, so that in the world, and then in chapter six, you know, we've seen like the the expectations. What are the religious cultural norms, and then Jesus's higher standards. So when it comes to um, prayer, when it comes to fasting, when it comes to forgiveness, like what are Jesus's expectations for us? And they're laid out uh, in chapter six, along with you know our charitable deeds. 
And then he's told us, you know, that we looked at last week, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, but, I mean, don't lay up for treasures here on earth, but in heaven. You know, have the right priorities. And so as he's told us all of these expectations, he knows then it's going to be natural for us to look around the room and say, well, this person's not meeting your expectations, Jesus. You know, it's, it's going to be very easy and natural for us to look at our other people who say we're followers of Jesus and to point the finger at them and say, not meeting expectations. And we're much more quick to do that than we are to look at our own hearts and say, not meeting the expectations of Jesus. We'll point everybody else in the room and say, you're not getting it. You're not cutting it. But then, you know, in our own hearts, what is our perspective? Oh, I'm doing fine. You know, and we won't make excuses for the others, but we'll make plenty of excuses for ourselves. Well, it's a difficult time. Well, this other thing's going on in life. Well, this or that. So I want us to be clear on what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying. Because this, these are some of the most, I think, abused verses that Jesus gives, especially verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. I believe that Jesus here is talking about do not live your life with a critical, unmerciful, unloving, harsh spirit that is always looking to find fault in your brother or sister. Don't have that sort of attitude and perspective where you're always looking to point, you know, you're just looking for that opportunity to point the wrong in someone else. Don't you live your life with that sort of, to, to, don't live your life as the critic. Don't live your life as the critic for everyone else. But now I think we have to be careful to understand that Jesus is not excluding all judgments and actions of discernment. And we see this later on here in chapter 7. For in the coming verses, um, Jesus says, um, Is there a man among you, in verse 9, if his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So, he's implying there, you have, you know, his followers need to know the difference between a stone, you know, between stones and bread. Because, I mean, he's not talking about just stones and bread. He's talking about giving the good things to your children in life. You have to be able to discern what is a serpent and what is fish. What is good for your children and what is bad for them. What is healthy, what is unhealthy in terms of the human life. We have to have some judgment and discernment. You can't look at it and go, well, bread, stones, doesn't matter. Eat up. You can't go, well, you know, here's a fillet of salmon or... You know, here's a serpent, doesn't matter. You know, you have to have some discernment and make some judgment there. Use that sense of the word. Um, You're going to have to understand that. Then later on, after that, he tells us, uh, in verse 15, Beware of false prophet who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Well, it, how, do you, how do you tell the difference between wolf and a sheep? And then Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. Okay? So, to know the difference between somebody is a false teacher or somebody is a good teacher, you have to have some discernment and make a judgment of whether you're going to adhere to that teaching or follow that or not. 
You can't just say, well, any teaching is good teaching. Because Jesus told us, beware of wolves. So to be able to call out and say, that's not a true teacher of God, that's a wolf, is a judgment. Okay, so Jesus isn't eliminating that, clearly. And he didn't forget what he just said in verse, chapter 7, verse 1, when he's at verse 15 in his message. You know, he didn't forget what he said. He, you know, you've got to look at the context and understand what's going on here and why it's being said. Because if you take this out of context, then ultimately no believer would be able to say, would be able to say anything about sin. Uh, for example, John the Baptist would have been sinning to call out Herod's sin of stealing his brother's wife. Um, in addition, you know, think about trying to share the gospel if you're unwilling to say that anything is a sin or that anything is wrong. You're sitting there telling people, well, you need a savior. Well, why? Well, because of sin. Well, what sin? Well, who am I to judge? Well, I mean, you have no gospel at that point. Um, you know, you, so you have to not be ridiculous in, in, in the interpretation, uh, but to try to get to the heart of what Jesus is saying, and then to play that out. I think the type of judging that Jesus is hammering here is the type of judging typically done by the Pharisees of this time. And that type of, of judging is solely for the purpose of saying, I am better than you. I am higher than, I am better than, I am more important than, I don't have the same flaws that you have. That is the point of the type of judging that Jesus condemns. It is to elevate the judger at the expense of the one who is being judged. Jesus doesn't want us to have anything to do with that. And then he gives a warning here when he says that, you know, you need to understand with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So if you have that wrong perspective, if I have that wrong perspective and that wrong attitude, overly critical, looking to point the fault in order to elevate oneself, that that's going to come back. That that's going to be like a boomerang and come right back to you. So we see this, and this is what Jesus calls hypocrisy. He says hypocrite, you know, remove the plank from your own eye. We see this. We see this all the time. We, you know, we have examples here recently, unfortunately, um, in, our, in our politics. You know, it's like I got you. You know, one person gets up and says, you know, this, this other politician is terrible because they did X or X, Y, and Z, whatever. And then a few days later, somebody else points out, but hey, remember you who were talking about this other politician? Remember when you did X back in such and such? And that just comes back, you know, on them. And so, you know, in that, that's a dangerous, Jesus is saying that's a dangerous game to play. When you're sitting there playing the I got you, somebody probably has some dirt on you. And that's a dangerous game to play. Like, be very careful of your own life is what Jesus is saying. Identify and, and have a perspective that your own sin is worse. I think that's what Jesus wants us to have some of that. Like, if, if we're going to be more, if we're going to have a higher standard for, have the higher standard for oneself, not for the other people that you're thinking about. 
expect a, a greater level of purity from yourself. Because that's, I mean, that's a plank and the, the speck. You know, Jesus is using some hyperbole here. Obviously, you know, big log versus little, you know, tiny speck. He's using some exaggeration for a point of you need to really examine your own heart. I need to really examine my own heart. Looking at anybody else's heart, what's in my heart? What's in my heart? So then there is a place to help your brother or sister after you've taken care of your own issues. Jesus says, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Like, that's still a needful and helpful thing to do. Jesus here does not say, you know, utterly ignore and don't identify and don't care about the speck in your brother's eye. He says, make sure you're doing that out of a place of your own, you know, relationship with God, your own purity first, and then help somebody else. Be healthy and then help others to be healthy. Um, so, you, rem- you know, remove that plank, then work on the speck. And Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, is a great place to look at to see how God wants us to remove the speck from each other's eyes. Verse 1, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, re- restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I mean, that's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful right there. If, you, if, you, if there's someone else, if there's someone else around you that's, you know, in sin, you are spiritual restore. Like, that's the goal. The goal isn't, I got you. The goal is to restore to a healthy place you know, in the community of fellowship. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Again, it's not, hey, let's see how we can drop the hammer here, but hey, how can we help you and to be gentle? And then also considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, knowing that we're all weak. We have to go not from a perspective of, oh, I'm so strong, I can handle anything. But no, I need to be careful here because I could get caught up in the same thing. Or in some other thing. So it's from a, a place of spiritual reality that says, I need to consider my own weakness. And certainly in the flesh, who in here has a strong flesh? I mean, we know, well, we have a strong flesh in order to, to sin, but I'm a strong flesh in order for purity, or for pure mind, pure heart, pure motives. You know, my flesh is prone. My, my flesh is naturally bent toward rebellion against God and his ways. So we have to be in the spirit and we have to understand the weakness of our flesh. And we have to be careful, even as we're trying in a, in a proper, proper and correct way, to help remove that speck from the brother's eye. That we don't end up putting more junk back in to our own eyes. You know, and these specs, you know, Jesus uses the term speck here, but these are serious things. You know, there aren't little things in terms of things that inhibit our relationship with God and our, 
uh, ability to share the gospel and, and you know, to, to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, if you've ever had a speck in your eye, it is truly a painful thing. And it inhibits your ability to do, you know, other things. Got a, one day I got a little piece of insulation from the attic, had, uh, you know, opening the thing, it had dropped in right into my eye. And tried to flush it out, thought I'd kind of gotten it, but it still bothered me. Woke up the next morning, I mean, it was bad. And, you, you know, there was no, there was very few things that I wouldn't have been willing to have given up in that moment to have that pain and that problem to go away. You know, the, the, the eye doctor had a lot of power over me in that moment. He could have made that bill whatever he wanted to make that bill. Is it like, get this thing out of my eye? And so, you know, we need to understand that just because it's, you know, it's a small thing doesn't mean it can't do a lot of damage in, in a person's life, in our own lives, and in the church. It might seem small, but it can have great repercussions. So we need to strive to help you know, one another, and we need to be willing to be helped. So now in verse 6, this is one of those really... Like one of the things we view as a really hard saying of Jesus. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swan, unless they tramp, you know, they're going to come back, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. So, dogs, you know, especially, you know, we have some breeds of dogs that are more, you know, have a greater ability if they get agitated to come back and to do some damage. Um, but in my in some reading, uh, you know, in the, the Middle East and these places that the, these dogs that Jesus is referring to here were kind of vicious. Um, you know, they were they were kind of designed to be so. If that makes sense. Um, and then pigs can turn and trample. You think, oh, but you know, one little pig. What's a pig going to do? Well, a herd of pigs. You know, if you're talking like a lot of pigs, when they turn and trample, that's a lot of movement. A lot of you know, wait, and they can do some damage. You don't want to be standing there in front of a thousand pigs that have gotten agitated and are determined to go a particular way, and you're in the way. Um, they can trample. So, what is Jesus saying here? Because it, on the surface, it seems cold. You know, shouldn't we, in all circumstances, make every effort to give people what is holy? I mean, doesn't that sound right, you know, to our, to our ears? Um, you know, why does Jesus tell us not to do that in some situations? Uh, and I think the, the answer that we can come to, and, and we'll talk about how Jesus approached a couple situations, is the reality is that not everyone is ready or willing to hear the good instruction that's been given by God. And some will not view this as godly wisdom or as good news for their lives. You know, and they're going to rebel against it because they're enslaved to, to sin. And by continuing to push the issue, they may become more resistant to the gospel. They become, may become harder you know, to reach. And so we need to be careful 
in this situation. But I think we also need to ask the question, in this context that Jesus is giving, who does Jesus refer to as pigs and dogs? Like, who is Jesus talking about here? He's obviously got to be talking about someone, something. So, I think as we read the whole Gospels, we can clearly see it's not normally those who would be thought of as notorious sinners. You know, in this time, in this context, the tax collectors who were viewed as, you know, traitors in cahoots with the Roman government, um, that they would be traitors, right? So that they would be considered notorious sinners. People who were prostitutes in this time would be considered notorious sinners. Jesus spent a lot of time with both groups. He is condemned for going into, you know, the house of tax collectors. You know, why do you, why does, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners is what we see an accusation against Jesus. So he's not talking about the people that would commonly be thought of as the worst sorts of sinners. He's not. And so we need to be careful not to misappropriate what Jesus is teaching here and say, well, the people that the world would say are the notorious sinners, those are the, you know, those are the pigs and those are the dogs, and we need to be careful that we don't cast our pearls before them. That's not it here. That's not it at all. But we know who is Jesus the hardest on in all of the Gospels. He's the hardest on the religious elite. The Pharisees and the scribes. Those are the ones that Jesus comes back to and hammers. He calls them, among other things, a brood of vipers. So it's not out of, this, out of the picture for if Jesus is going to call them brood of vipers to call them dogs and, and pigs, which, again, it's an insult because those were viewed as in the, in the law as unclean animals, animals you know, that you couldn't sacrifice in the temple, that they, you know, you, if you touch them, then you, know, you need to go through a ceremonial washing in order to make yourself clean again. The most insulting thing that you could say to a Pharisee is pigs and dogs. I mean, you couldn't get much more insulting to the religious leaders of this time than to put them in that category. And Jesus is not afraid to do that. Um, Matthew 23, 31 through 35, when Jesus is talking to the scribes and Pharisees, he says, Therefore you are witnesses against yourselves, that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brutal vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Now, of course, we know the only way that they can escape that condemnation is through repentance. You know, it's through repenting and you know, admitting their guilt and their sorrow, turning, you know, turning from their, their sin and putting faith in God and, and who God had sent for them. Like that, that is their way of salvation. But, but because they are so pious in their own religious purity and because they view themselves as having no need of a Savior, that Jesus says to them things like, you're a bunch of snakes. Because he's going to bring the hammer down on them, hopefully that they'll 
you know, repent. But we see that Jesus, you know, as a whole, doesn't spend a lot of his time trying to convince people who will not admit that they are sinners, that they are good enough in their own religious piety. He doesn't spend the majority of his time with them. He does give them some warnings. He is more than willing to talk to any of them that have an open heart, like in John chapter 3 where Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and says, you know, we know you're a teacher. And, and Jesus you know, explains the truth to him. And we see Nicodemus become a true follower of Jesus. Like anybody with the open heart, even no matter what group they were in, Jesus would take the time and, and share you know, with them once they had, you know, if, if they came with any sort of desire, any sort of you know, truthfulness or an integrity of, I want to know the truth, any sort of openness that they could be wrong. But with people who were the quote-unquote notorious sinners, you know, they didn't, there's very little convincing needed. Like, are you a sinner? Yes, I'm a sinner. And so, I think what Jesus is saying here is that when people are unwilling to admit that they have any problem or any need, that if you keep pushing with them, you have a problem, you have a need, that it is likely at that point, they will turn on you. Because they say, we don't need anything. And who do you think you are to say that I, in fact, do need anything? And this is exactly what we have seen. This is what we, exactly what we see as we go throughout. When all the religious leaders in Israel, I mean, you know, in mass, the majority of them plot together and decide they're going to have Jesus killed. That's exactly what they do. They turn and trample and devour Jesus and his teachings. I mean, that, that's almost like a prophecy here that gets played out. You know, and so we have to recognize this and understand this, who is being talked about here. So this message is for those, in, in verse 6, this message again is for those who do not think they need a Savior, for those who do not think they need a King, who think they have everything good enough and together on their own. Today, this message is for religious leaders just like it was back then. This is for the leaders of mega churches and small little churches. This is for pastors and ministers and priests and everything else. And you go, whoa, wait a second. Yeah, that's who Jesus would be telling this message to today. Like, who is Jesus today going to call a brood of vipers? It will be those who say, well, sin isn't sin. He would call, I think, those who would say they're, you know, do what you want. Sin isn't sin. Jesus would call them a brood of vipers. For those who would say, you know, there's a... Uh, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, Jesus would say to them, you brutal vipers. For those who would be you know, legalistic and would keep people from entering the kingdom of God by creating a system that isn't God's in order to be right with him, 
Jesus would say, you brood of vipers. You know, to those overly given to license or to legalism, Jesus would say, you brood of vipers. Because both sides are ultimately saying, we don't need God. We don't need God because there, there isn't a heaven and there isn't a hell and this is all there is. I mean, it sounds crazy to say this, but it is, I mean, this is what we deal with, you know, today. I mean, there are, in this morning, there are large groups of people gathered in buildings with the name church out front. They don't believe in a heaven or a hell. They may believe in a heaven, they certainly don't believe in a hell. And they don't believe that, that God would send anybody there. Or that somebody's own, you know, wicked acts would, you know, send them there. So then it's just, what? These religious games that are being played. And Jesus, I believe, says to that, you brood of vipers. And, and you know, they're, they're deadly for others. Or you, you know, ravenous dogs that would destroy. Or you swine that would trample. You know, and certainly the gospel has been trampled. The good news of Jesus has been has been trampled through legalism. The good news of Jesus has been trampled through license. In our day, in our times today, and you know, I think that Jesus would say things that would shock us. I mean, what fill in the blank? I'll let you all fill in the blank, but fill in the blank in terms of unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says that earlier in the message. So today, who would, say, who would Jesus put in that category that would shock everyone? Because what he says here, when he says that, we have to understand, for the audience, those words are shocking. Those are like, drop your jaw. So who's, you know, how would Jesus drop the jaws of his audience today if he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. How would he drop your jaw? How would he explain that his system is completely different than the world's religious system? And so, this is important for us, you know, to understand. Um, Because again... Jesus also says to his disciples in his last you know, conversation with them before his trial, he says, you know, there are going to be people who drag you into court. So basically, there are people who are going to kill you and think they've done God a service. You know, so again, this is going, verse 6 here is very practical. It's going to be played out. It's going to be played out, you know, and you need to have wisdom and discernment. Because uh, obviously, Jesus is not saying we should never be a martyr. There's a time and a place for that. But again, you have to have the discernment. discernment. His people have to know the, have the discernment to know when it's worth being a martyr for or not. And for what purpose. You know, and is it going to have any sort of effect? And that's something where the person has to be in tune to the Spirit of God. Obviously, Stephen was trampled underfoot and devoured as he was stoned to death. But it also seems clear, based on the context, that God was perfectly fine with that for the purposes of his gospel and glory 
going forward in the world. So you have to, again, balance that. You can't look at this and say, you can't take verse 6 and say, well, if we ever suffer persecution for following Jesus, then we should stop doing what we're doing because we don't want... Wait, wait. You know, you can't do that. Again, you can, you can misinterpret and misapply pretty much any verse in the Scripture. You know, again, if you don't take in the context of what Jesus is saying or the, the, you know, the Holy Spirit through other people is, has given to us, if you don't take the context of the passage itself and of the broader Scripture, you can twist chapter 7, verse 1 to mean something completely that it does not, and you can do the same thing with verse 6. You know, for your own purposes, um, you know, to manipulate. Anybody can do that. And so we want to be careful that we take it um, these verses in the context of the larger Matthew 5 through 7 and in the larger ministry of Jesus, all of the gospel, and that in the larger context of the entirety of the Word of God. You know, and so when you're coming to an idea and to a conclusion, you say, I think this verse means X. You need to ask, okay, is, does that fit with the context of the passage? Yes or no? Does that fit with the context of the, you know, the, the surrounding chapters? Because, again, it's not written in a vacuum. Yes or no? It's fit in the context of the whole of that book and the whole of that author. Yes or no? In the entirety of the Word of God. Yes or no? And if the answer is no to any of those questions, all right, got to rework my understanding. Got to rework my understanding because I obviously am missing something here. You know, and that takes work to do. Because it's so easy just to say, judge not that you be not judged. And then whenever somebody says, hey, brother, or hey, sister, um, you know, that gossip that you told me, please, you know, I think that that's, that's not healthy for any of us. Well, who are you to judge? You see how you can just use that verse anytime you want as a trump card? Of just like, who are you to judge? Who are you to judge? And then, you know, you can do anything you want. Who are you to judge? You know, so we have to be careful that we don't abuse the scripture in that way. So what are our big takeaways? So we need to identify and to ask God help us to help us not have a critical spirit that is looking for you know, I got you for the benefit of myself. So we need to, that has no place, that should have no place in any of us in our church at all. There's no, you know, I'm, I'm pointing this out so I can make myself look better, feel better, whatever. So that's it, that's one. Take away the critical spirit. Um, that we wouldn't be hypocrites is number two, that we would examine our own hearts, each individual heart, examine itself before God. Judge yourself so that you don't have to be judged. And that's very scriptural, that we examine our own hearts. And then that God would give us discernment in each situation to know when to continue, to know when to keep sharing, um, whether it's a brother and sister in Christ, and, you know, 
we got something we need to deal with, or somebody who doesn't have Jesus yet to know when to keep sharing or when to back off. Okay, and so we need discernment in all of these situations. And this is the biggest thing, biggest takeaway, um, you know, for us is that, again, we can only live the sort of life that Jesus wants to, step by step, day by day, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. You know, we can't have the discernment on our own in these situation, in every situation of what's right and, and wrong and what is appropriate and not appropriate in terms of our, our response and, and how we deal with things. So may God help us in that, um, to use the Spirit uh, that is available to us and to use the whole of the Word of God to help us in every situation so that we can be a help to other people. Um, but again, that first space, God help me. My heart is so easily bent out of shape in terms of the shape that you want it to have. Like, that's easy to happen for absolutely any one of us. And so may God help us in that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. Uh, Lord, this section is convicting for me. I, I'm, I would think it would be convicting for all of us, God. Because there's been times when we've used your verses, these verses as a scapegoat for, um, or as a, as a way to avoid any critique. Uh, Lord, we've also missed it in terms of just being critical of others without the right purpose, right heart, um, and just for the sake of being critical. Lord, forgive us for that. Lord, forgive me for that. Lord, give us discernment in each situation. Help us to know what is right and wrong. Help us to be pure, that we would remove those things in our own lives that hinder our relationship with you and that hinder um, our ability to help our brothers and sisters. God, remove those things from our lives that hinder our ability to share the gospel or hinder our, our desire to share the gospel. Lord, help us, we pray. Lord, we thank you that your grace each day is sufficient for us. Lord, we're thankful that uh, your mercies are new every day. And so, God, in this time, as we take that bread and that cup, Lord, we say, we ask you to forgive us. Lord, I ask you to forgive me, my failings, according to your scriptures. Lord, help us. As your word says, help us to be holy as you are holy. Help us to be clean vessels, filled up by you and ready to be poured out um, in any way that you see fit. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.